As I said, we are expounding the gospel according to John. We've taken a week uh, to take a little break here. Okay, and we've said lessons from the church at Philippi in the outline on your bulletin. We are celebrating the 46th anniversary of Fellowship Bible Church. And those of you that have been here a while, you'll notice even the cover of our bulletin is one of the foundational verses of this church. The actual day is May 10th, and of course next week's Mother's Day and so forth. So we're celebrating it this weekend, also tied in with the missions conference. But in May 10th, 1964, so our approach this morning is I will be giving you some comments, even in regard to our history and so forth uh, throughout the message in various areas. But I also think there's some lessons we can learn from the church at Philippi in relationship to us in the first 11 verses. With all the activity this morning, I'm going to try to move uh, right along uh, with it. But let me start by saying this, or asking this, what is God doing? Ask yourself that. What in the world is God doing first? Just take a step back. What's he doing? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, and I will not go back there, many of you are familiar with it, the apostle Peter was asked a question, as well as the other disciples, asked a question in relationship to who is Jesus Christ. And in his response, he said, that was Peter, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was his response. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. And then he went on in Matthew 16 to state that Jesus Christ, on that statement, not on Peter, is going to build his church. That's what he said. Jesus Christ said that he will build his church. And in saying that, I want to give us a couple of things immediately. He was not talking about, that is, Jesus Christ was not talking about a religion. He didn't say that he was going to build a religion. He was not talking about church buildings like one that we're sitting in here today. You know, he was not saying Christ is going to build a lot of buildings around the world. That's not what he was talking about. He was not talking about anything that was organizational because there's so much emphasis on organizational type of things today. He was not talking about denominations when he said he would build his church. There are so many denominations, and there are so many breaks from denominations, and so many religions. That is not what Christ was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. Rather, he was talking about an organism. He was talking about people, the likes of you and I, as we will see even today. He was talking about building his church with people out of every nation, out of every culture, out of every nationality, out of every ethnic background, out of every age, young and old. He was talking about something that was worldwide, even as we have had the missions conference and we've seen the variety. Yesterday we had in relationship to Korea, in relationship to Papua New Guinea, and Guatemala, and Lawrence, and uh, right in our own backyard here at Fellowship Bible Church, and then Germany, and uh, New Hampshire. God said that he would build his church. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ said that he would build his church, and he was talking about an organism, a spiritual body created not by man, but, but, but created by God himself. He was talking about the body of Christ. He was talking about the universal church. 
that which is universal all over the world. He was specifically talking, to break it down even further, about what you hear sometimes as born-again believers. And by the way, there is no other type of believer. Not in Christ's mind. You're either born again or you're not. It's just that simple. What does that mean, born again? It is those who have placed their faith. We just heard that from Pastor Chris. They have believed in a person, in the work of that person. That is in Jesus Christ as being the promised one of God in his work that he came to this earth, took on flesh. Why? Because all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If I knew nothing about you today, I can tell you that you're a sinner, and you know you are, even though the world doesn't want to talk about sin. We are all sinners. Well, how do we pay for that? We can't. It's a debt that none of us can pay. And God knew that, so he loved us, and he sent his son to take on flesh. He came to this earth, took on flesh, grew as a man, taught, fulfilled the Old Testament, and then he went to the cross, as a sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God that we just talked about, in order that he could satisfy a righteous, holy God in the demands, which is the wages of sin is death. And so he died on the cross in a substitutionary sacrifice so that people could have forgiveness of sins. Not that they could pay for it, not that they could be good to try to get it, but so that it could be paid for by God himself and the debt could be canceled against us. That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who have placed their faith in him. That's what born again is. It is the only basis of deliverance from the penalty of sin. It is the only basis of deliverance from condemnation. It provides eternal life now in the present tense with long-lasting effects right into eternity. It's not just duration of time. It is also quality. All of that's involved with Jesus Christ saying he would build his church. It is forgiveness of sins. Those who are guilty are now pronounced not guilty by the only one who has the rightful place to make that pronouncement, and that is God himself. Not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what his son has done in behalf of those who have trusted in him. So now, as I said, there's no condemnation. We know that. Many of you that are sitting in this audience could go to sleep on that and say, I knew everything that Pastor Dan was going to say, fine. And we take that for granted, unfortunately. But I want to tell you something else. God's work is still going on. When he said that he would build his church, it has not yet stopped. It is continuing. The building is not yet finished in the year 2010, at least by May 2nd of 2010 at 11.30, in case you're wondering what time it is. It might be finished in about three minutes, but it's not finished yet. That's important. God is still building. What does that mean? I want to lay a little foundation here as I rapidly move. God's means, that is the methodology through which he is building his church, involves a couple of things, and he has chosen how he will build his church. And how does he build his church? Number one, I'll give you three quick things that you know. But number one, he builds his church through the foolishness of preaching. 
He's chosen through the foolishness of preaching. That is the gospel. We find in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, that Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. The gospel is what is able to change a life in Papua New Guinea. The gospel is what's able to change a life in Germany. The gospel is what's able to change a life in Korea, in China, in Japan, in Canada, in the United States of America, in Methuen, right here in this room. It is the power of the gospel, and God has chosen that, though the world thinks it's ridiculous, it's foolishness, that a lamb would be slain for the sins of the world. God has also chosen to use the Word of God, that which we are studying from, the Bible. That's His means. That's why Timothy, for example, was told, preach the Word. Why? Because according to Hebrews, it is the Word of God that is able to penetrate to where you and I live and think. It is living. It is not a dead old book. It is a living work. It is a living sword that is sharper than any two-edged sword and will pierce even down into the thoughts and intents of the heart, which is why you can be sitting in an audience, and if the Word of God is preached, nobody else knows, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened, somebody comes up and says, you prepared that message for me. I had no idea who you were, whether you'd be in church or anything. God knew where you were, and He used the Word to get right to your heart. It's that powerful. That's number one. This is only introduction. Number two, He has also continued and has chosen to use individuals and that's you, and that's me. That's what he's chosen. He's chosen to use individuals as living epistles. Read of all men. That's what Paul said. Paul said, you're my living epistles. Why? Of a life that's been changed. And those who knew you from the past, God has put me in a very unique situation. Many of you know that. Some of you may not. But I grew up in this area. I went to school, I went to Roman Catholic schools in this area. I lived and people saw the worst of me. You think you've seen the worst of me. Praise the Lord that what was the worst of me is long gone. And what you're seeing is what God has already modified and he hasn't even begun to finish, and you know that. But the reality is I'm living and preaching in an area where people I played sports with, went to school with, did everything with. They know who I am. And why I'm just using that as an example, it's true with you. Your parents, your relatives know who you are, they know where you've been, and they know what your life was like before you came to Christ. You are a living epistle. Beheld of all men. You are lights in the midst of a dark world. That's what we all are. God's chosen to use us as individuals. And thirdly, He's chosen, believe it or not, folks, and this is so drifting away today, but it's a reality. The third part of the means that God has chosen is where you are today, the local church. He's chosen to use us as bodies that have trusted in Him in a local community. That's God's design, not man's. And in case you don't think so, it was established in the book of Acts. Everywhere in the book of Acts, they established local church and leadership. Most of your New Testament epistles are either written to churches or they're written to leadership and tell them how to conduct the local assembly. That is 90% of your New Testament epistles. So if you don't think the local church is important, I don't want to be in your shoes when you're standing before God. 
because you're in trouble. That's his instrument. His instrument is the preaching of the gospel. His instrument is individual believers. And then his instrument is the local church through which he desires to accomplish his work because the local body would meet. When you see the pictures, you'll see how Paul went from local church to local church and so forth this afternoon. One of those churches, folks, is Fellowship Bible Church. And contrary to thinking, and contrary to what people may think, the elders think or I think, this is not the only church in the world. By any means. We have many churches right in our backyard that are faithfully teaching the Word of God. We have some that might not stand exactly where we do in some issues, but they're teaching the Word of God in their good local churches. Yes, Pastor Dan's saying that. Absolutely. That are standing for the things of God. But one of the churches is Fellowship Bible Church. It was started on May 10, 1964 in North Andover, and it is now 46 years old. And I want to say something right away. God, listen, God has accomplished. God is accomplishing. And God will continue to accomplish many mighty things through Fellowship Bible Church for his honor and glory. You know why? Because he is doing it and has done it. When you look back on the history of this church, very quickly, people have been saved. People have been baptized. People have been grounded in the truth. People have been sent forth out of this work by God's grace. Other local assemblies have been established through this work. Children have been trained educationally. Children have been cha- trained in the things of God and have grown up to love the Lord as well as believers. God has used this work and is continuing to use it in a mighty, mighty way. And on this occasion, we take a glimpse at the church and take a glimpse at Philippi in order to learn some lessons. First of all, in your outline, because I could spend another half hour in the introduction. Let me get to the outline. In the first point on your outline, let's take a look first at the encouragement from the past and the present. That's verses 1 to 5. Since I read verses 1 and 2, you can look at it. I will refer to it. But I do want to read verses 3 through 5. Follow along. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel, watch, from the first day until now. As we look at this, let's first of all deal with the past and deal with the the Philippian church for a second. I want you to notice that God was working in forming the groundwork. How did he do that? Well, I can't get into a lot of what I would really like to share from my heart, but let me say this. God was even working in history. What do you mean? There was the battle of Anthony and Octavian when they battled with Brutus and Cassius. Now, we read about that. We talk about that. I saw the battlefield when I was over there, by the way. That was important because God was setting the 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 tone, even in history, to prepare for the church that would later be in Philippi. He was working in history. Anthony was the winner, as we know, and so forth. But he was preparing for Roman law and a Roman colony and freedom to be set up. All that behind the scenes in preparation for the church. There had been the advancement of roads that took place so that the main road from Rome all the way over to Asia, you'll see pictures of this this afternoon, was the Via Ignatia or the Ignatian Way. And that was even being involved. God was in that. 
But God was also working in believers. Hold on to your hats. God was working behind the side in believers. How? In Paul and Barnabas. What do you mean? They split. Man didn't see that as God's hand working, but he was working because it set up a whole tone on how the second missionary journey was going to take place. And I'm not saying that God wanted the split and so forth, other than God did use both men. And I won't get into all of it now. When I preached through the book, I showed you that, that it really wasn't even over doctrinal issues. But there was a division that took place. God was in it. When Fellowship Bible Church was formed, God was working in the town. Now, I haven't got time for all the history, but those of you that were here and some of you that are sitting here were there. It came down to one vote in the city that made some things possible back in North Andover. God was working in the city. God was where 114 did not look what it, I remember as a boy, all there was was Merrimack College and trees all the rest of the way on 114. That's easy. It's anything but that today, just like Salem, New Hampshire. God was working there. God was working on 114. God was working in the radio as far as it becoming public and so forth. God was working in the hearts of Pastor Stringer and when he broke from primitive Methodism and there was a break off from that. God was working in a mighty, mighty way. And what was foundational to Philippi? What was foundational to Fellowship Bible Church? The gospel and the word of God. Priority on preaching the gospel because it's the one true gospel and priority on being faithful to God's word not to man, denominational, or whatever it might be. In the Philippian church, it had a very small start when we look at their past. It's interesting. Let me just recall this to you. You'd find it in Acts chapter 16. If you want to mark it down, you can. I will not turn there. But I want you to notice something else. This was the first church in which there was a convert in Europe. First place that Paul went to where there was a convert. And it started very small. It started with three, basically three people. You know who they were? I'll tell you. You don't remember. One was a businesswoman. This afternoon, you'll see where she was baptized. One was a businesswoman. Her name was Lydia. She had come all the way from Asia, from Thyatira, all the way over to sell her goods, and she becomes a convert. A woman, a businessman. Second one. I put it this way. An abusive uh, fortune teller. She's referred to as a slave girl. That's the second one. Paul's convert becomes a woman that's down near the river, a businesswoman. Paul's next convert becomes a woman who's a fortune teller that probably was even demon-possessed, and they were all upset because Paul cast it out and so forth. I believe that was a demon. And she's fortune-telling, and her whole life gets changed. Another woman who's basically looked at as nobody. Pretty small stock. And then there's the third one, the one we're most familiar with as well, the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jail. And so the church at Philippi that he's writing to here started very small. And the third one really is a rejected soldier. Why? He's in a jail. He's got a job that nobody else wants. He's not the top general. And God starts this small church with an insignificant group of people, just like he did at Fellowship Bible Church. A small group of people, insignificant, walking in everyday life. That's how God works. A businesswoman, a slave, and a soldier. And God begins to bring the church together through the gospel. But I want you to notice something. In our epistle, the verses that I just read, which, by the way, in case you don't realize it, this is the last epistle that Paul writes to a church. He's going to write after this the epistles to Timothy and Titus. 
But the last epistle written to a church is this one. So he has a small beginning. But by this time, things have changed. What do you mean? If you notice from the verses I read, the church is now established. It's got offices. He refers to the elders and the deacons, or the overseers and the deacons. There are new people there. The church has grown numerically. They have grown spiritually, is obvious. Some of the people that were there in the beginning are no longer there. For example, I don't think Lydia was there. We don't know, but she was just coming over for business and probably was used to take the gospel back after she got saved. She probably went home. The church was under persecution. Paul was beaten and thrown in prison here. The church had internal strife. We know that from the epistle. The women were fighting within the church and so forth. And there was gossip going on and all kinds of things. They were a mission-minded church now. How do we know that? They provided financially for Paul. They sent others out into the mission field to help. They had really grown. And yet they were a church that was still very poor. We know that. Financially, they didn't have a lot. By the way, there's a context for that verse. God will supply all your needs. How many of you have claimed that verse? Don't raise your hand because you want to hear the rest that I'm going to say. You know who he said that to? God will provide all your needs. He said that to a church that was very poor, that couldn't afford much, and that gave beyond their giving. And he says to you, I will supply all your needs. Don't worry about a thing. That was the context of what happened. Very poor church, involved with false teachers. They were not where they were when Paul first went there. They had grown from those three converts into this church that we're talking about. Fellowship Bible Church is the same way. There are new people that are here today. There are other people who have died. There are other people who have been sent out of this work. There are people who have left the work. There are people who have left the work for good reasons. There are people who have left the works over disagreements and so forth. There have been trials in the church. There have been poor decisions that have made as well as good decisions by the leadership. There's been poor decisions that have been made by me. There's been mistakes that have been made by me. There's been sin in the congregation, sin in our lives at times. That has happened over our history. There have been works that have been started. We have moved our location. We're not in the same place. The Internet has now developed, just to get back into that. The bottom line is this. We are not where we were 46 years ago. But God is still working. And you need to open your eyes. God is still working. He is still building His church. The growth might not always be evident, but it's sometimes within individuals. And sometimes even when people are sent forth, or people leave, it is part of the growth. That's what happened with Paul and Barnabas. They both grew through that. That's what happened in sending him out, in sending Epaphroditus. A lot of different things happened. But God was still working within the church. There are many similarities between us and them. Some of us, we still find, are the same people who are here. But God is still using us to witness. God's word is still going forth in power. People are still being baptized. By the way, we're going to have a baptism very soon where there's a number of people that are going to be baptized. There's fellowshipping still going on. People are still exercising their gifts. Men and women are still going forth to serve the Lord. There was loyalty in that church. There was loyalty by God and loyalty of the people. And so their church changed. Our church has changed. 
But I want you to catch this. What was Paul's approach? One of our common approaches is to go back and say, oh, we want things the way they were. Wasn't it so great in the beginning? You don't want to go back. You go back to the way they were, half the people in this church wouldn't be here. True. You go back to the way they were, and all you're going to remember is the good times. You won't remember all the bad times. Who of us, when we say the good old days, remembers all of the bad things that happened? None of us. All we remember is the good things. But it was all used for growth. So what is Paul's approach to this church as he writes his last epistle to a church that started very small but was still continuing to go on? Let me give it to you, and you've got to digest it fast. Here it is, verse 3. He was thankful for them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Let me stop. Are you thankful for Fellowship Bible Church? Are you kidding all the things that they do wrong, all the things that we've been through? Are you kidding? Then you have a problem. I thank God that Fellowship Bible Church is still continuing to go on. As well as the other churches, too. We're talking about our church on an anniversary. Thank God. We ought to be thanking God for the church. He was prayful for the church, always offering prayer. That's point number two. With joy. Are we praying? Are we praying this way? God, straighten that person out. God, correct that person. You know what's going wrong in their life. You take care of them. Or are we praying, God, thank you that the word of God's still going out. Thank you. Yeah, we went through some trials. Thank God we did that. Thank God for the people that you send in. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be praying. We ought to be appreciative of the fellowship in the gospel, verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel. Praise the Lord for churches that are preaching the gospel. And right here, that it's still getting preached. Praise the Lord that you're out there witnessing as individuals. Fourth thing he does is he rejoices that it's still going on. Look at it in verse 5. He says, participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He doesn't write to the Philippian church and say, by the way, I remember one time Pastor Stringer said that we were still in North Andover at the time. But somebody came back and visited the church and said to Pastor Stringer, who are all these people? You know, this isn't the way it used to be. And I remember something to the effect, and Pastor can correct me if I'm wrong. He said to the person, this is the way it's supposed to be. He said, we're here in the business of people coming to salvation and growing. You don't want to go back to those few people that we just had. That's what we're here for. Get to know them. Get involved. But what happens is all of a sudden we don't recognize the faces and so forth, and we say, ah, oh, it's not the way it used to be. That's because God's working. Because he's working. And rejoicing because they were still going on. Let me encourage you with this. Paul does not focus on the negatives. Paul doesn't focus on the changes and say, oh, I don't like the way it was. He doesn't focus on the problem. He doesn't say, let's go back to the way it was when I lit witnessed to Lydia. He doesn't say, let's go back to that excitement in the beginning. By the way, we should. We should get excited about that. I don't mean to take that wrong. But what I'm saying is he doesn't want to go back. He wants to go forward. And what he wants to do is have them rejoice. He wants them to see that God is being patient and God's working in them. And then in the epistle, he tries to correct some things that were wrong, but he wants them to move forward. With Fellowship Bible Church, there's been all kinds of changes that have taken place. Technology has changed. We have such busy schedules. We are now in an area where this church has second-generation believers in it. We are involved in uh, many, many things. And so even in our history, the church is no longer, we were talking about this yesterday, the focus of the family. You say, well, you know, biblically, our family. You better look at the Scriptures closely. There's no question, and you've heard that from the pulpit. The family is the center unit. But God has chosen it to be 
also within a local church. And where at one time, not just in Fellowship Bible Church, but in the Church of Jesus Christ, the local church was vital in people's lives, now it becomes more like the place I go to church on Sunday if I wanted worship with the, with the body. No different from Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholicism, uh, Judaism, or, Mor- or Mormonism, or Muslims who just go when they want to worship to be with people. When it should be the center of the life. When, it's, when it should be part of what's going on. We've come to a, a generation, and this is just to point some things out and to continue to say some things, but we've come to a point in time in, when many Christian homes are not even thinking about Christian education. They're not even thinking about, hold on to your hat, they're not even thinking about whether their son or daughter should be serving the Lord. They're too busy thinking about how they can get a good job to provide. We heard yesterday, my heart was thrilled. You need to hear the testimony. We heard from three people yesterday, one of which went and followed the Lord, left his job and had no support, zero, in this century. That's the Korean church. We heard, and he's sitting in front of me, this is not to embarrass him, we heard of another situation where all the person had was $75 a month promised to them with $400 in bills a month given to them, but they knew God would have them and provide, and they are still ministering today, and they have no big bills over their head. God's provided every step. We've heard of situations, and he's in Lawrence right now, where God provided, where they didn't have the funds and just went back because God was burdening them. We're so busy being consumed by our economy that we're not even training our young people. But I'll tell you something else. Nevertheless, God is going to raise up people to serve him. He's going to do it. But we get so busy. Where do we focus on? Should we focus on the negative? Should we focus on look at where we are, look at the struggles, even some of the things that I just told you? Absolutely not. Our confidence is in the future. You say, I don't know about that one, Pastor Dan. You know why our confidence is in the future? Verses 6 to 8, let's get there quick. It doesn't rest in us. It rests in God. He said, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, watch, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until when? The day of Christ Jesus. As Paul wrote to this church, many things had changed, many struggles had come, many problems had existed, many joys had happened. But he says as he writes to this church, and he looks back, now that the church has grown and time has gone by, he says, I rejoice and I pray for you and I thank God you're still continuing on. And he says, I got a great view of the future because my confidence is in God. His confidence wasn't in man. His confidence wasn't in leadership. His confidence wasn't in directors. His confidence wasn't in parents. His confidence wasn't in members of the church. His confidence wasn't in non-members of that church at Philippi. Why? His confidence was in God because God began the work. God began the work both individually in lives and God began the work in that Philippian church that started with just a few people. And God was continuing to work. He didn't have his confidence in Paul. Paul didn't say, my confidence is in what I did. He didn't have his confidence in Lydia. He didn't have his confidence in that Roman soldier. 
He didn't have the confidence in that girl. He had this confidence in God. Our confidence can't be in Pastor Stringer. Our confidence can't be in Pastor Dan. Our confidence can't be in the elders. Our confidence can't be in the directors. Our confidence can't be in the deacons. Our confidence can't be in the membership. Our confidence needs to be in the same place that Paul was in writing to that church. Our confidence is in God. And God is still building His church. God began it, and what does He say? God will complete it. God will finish His church. Universally, yes. And God will continue to use Fellowship Bible Church, and He will continue to use you, and He will continue to use the likes of me, and He will continue to use this church in order that His church might be built. And praise God that He will continue to do that until Christ returns. And if Christ doesn't return until all of us are dead and in the grave, He will continue to do His work. And we can have confidence in it. Very quickly put, God will continue to call out people even out of this church to start new churches. I'm confident of that. I'm looking for that. Some of you young people, maybe some of you older people, God will work in your life and we'll be sending you out of here. Not because we don't want you, but because God's going to use you in a greater way. And I'm confident that God's going to still raise up individuals to serve in the mission field. And I'm confident that God's going to continue to use the Word of God to help people grow and mature in their faith and go out into the community and others to come in here that we don't even know right now that are going to come in here and getting saved. My sister and brother-in-law had no idea when they witnessed to me that one day I would be standing in this pulpit. Not at all. Neither did I, by the way. But they were faithful in going out and witnessing and inviting me to a Bible study. And little did I know that I'd first of all come to this church and little did I know that God would call me into the ministry. And the same is true with you. You wouldn't be here today unless God was working. Our God is a great God. He's done great things, and he's going to continue to do it in the future. And he was relying because God's grace is still working. That's verse 7. I haven't got the time. I have to wind this down. All are partakers of his grace with me. See that? His defense of the gospel, the confidence was in the grace of God. So then, do we just sit back then and watch and let God do what he's going to do anyway? No, there's a practical end to it, and I'll wrap it up very fast. It's in verses 9 to 11. You'll have to scan them. But in that verse of the exhortation of the practical, he saw what God had done. He knows how he started the church. He knows where it's come to. And he writes to them and is confident in their future because of God. But he gives them some practical exhortations, and here they are quickly. Number one, pray for one another. That's found in verse 9. And he prays for them. We need to pray for one. And by the way, prayer is not easy. I have an interesting quote. Only take me a second to read it. And this deals with prayer. One writer said this, and I quote, It is difficult to force ourselves to pray if you think you have a human solution to every problem and natural resources for every need. The problem is compounded in our society because most of us have more material goods than we need. We've developed a means by which we can deal with whatever comes along our ways and whatever need might arise. There are Christian programs for people who want to improve their looks, their physical fitness, their self-esteem, their investment portfolio, and whatever else might be difficult in the Christian life. Christians who want to have it all here and now can pursue the good life with a vengeance 
and feel good about it in thinking they're serving God. And his point was, those are the things that cause us not to rely on God in prayer. Paul said he prayed. How did he pray for them? He prayed for what? He prayed that their love would abound more and more. Not that it would just start, but that it would continue and grow greater. To be a contributor to the fact that God was working. He wanted their love to grow. He wasn't critical of their lack of love that was there. And by the way, if you look at Philippians, in some areas it was lacking. He prayed that their love would abound. How? In real knowledge and discernment. Bottom line, he wanted it to be not just love. And everybody talks about that. There's got to be Christian love. We've got to love one another. But notice what he says very carefully in this passage. In verse 9, he says that it's to be in real knowledge and discernment. True love is tied into the Word of God and is consistent with it and learns how to discern what's right and wrong and take correction. And we all need it. Secondly, he wants them to make more excellent choices, and that's in verse 10. He wants them not to just make good choices, but the best ones. That which is the most profitable. That which is the most offensive. And the idea of blameless is the idea of without, uh, without wax technically. And the point is, he really wanted them to be the best quality. You know, one thing I see lacking in Christianity today, maybe, it's, maybe I'm wrong, sometimes it's lacking in my own life, is that Christians do everything the best. You say, really? What do? Yes, that's what he's saying. You are called to excellence. When you're working, you're supposed to do the best job possible. Not just, well, enough to get along. That's good enough. That's not how you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord with excellence. That's the way God served us. In every area. I don't care if it's working in the kitchen. I don't care if it's working in the nursery. I don't care if it's preaching a message. You do it with excellence. And then lastly, it's in verse 11, you can be filled with righteousness. Filled with righteousness. To deal with the practical as I close, I just want to say this. Our practical vision, people even asked this the other night, and I'm going to give you a little feedback on the meeting the other night. Allow me just two or three minutes to close here. Our practical vision as a board of elders and as we consider things, we are meeting again in, this, in June. We've been meeting for months, so you know. And we're praying that God would give us wisdom in concentrating on people rather than programs. We really want that. You may see some programs that are here that are going to be deleted that have been here for years. Why? Because we hate them. No. Because our concentration, we want to see how should we adjust so that our concentration is on ministering to people. With our whole heart, we want that. We fail in many areas. How can we be more effective in shepherding? That's for the leadership. We're looking at that. We have now, was a great meeting the other night. We really appreciated your feedback. For those of you who weren't able to make it, let me just mention this. As we've considered things, rather than even looking to the land for expansion, and we did, by the way, the elders were not trying to push anything on anybody. That just came on our laps. We had nothing to do with it. We just presented it. And when we did, as we talked about it, as we prayed about it, as the people discussed it, our concentration is going to be on, on using funds to improve what we have here first. And we're going to look for ways to improve. There's things that need to be improved, even in the building and so forth, and see how God works. We need to have everybody more active, not passive, in the things of God. We're looking to have better use of our flocks by having you involved as a people. We want more reaching out to the lost. We do. We sincerely want that. We want you to have a heart for that. 
And we want to want you to know that you need to pray. You need to be involved in participation. You need to be involved in encouragement. You need to be involved in recognizing what God is doing and what He's going to do. Because by the grace of God, He's going to continue to build His church through you and through Fellowship Bible Church for the glory of God. You know what? This is a tough one. But He needs you to stay loyal. Too many people aren't loyal to churches anymore. It's so easy to bounce from church to church to church to church to church. It's so easy to do your own thing and not be loyal, first of all, to God and loyal to His Word. You need to be. I need to be. And I'll close with one verse, 2 Corinthians 4. We had communion. We had a lot going on today. But 2 Corinthians 4, I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want. Verse 5. As we move forward, God's given us a rich history. He's given us the present and what a marvelous future is we depend upon God. Why can we have that confidence? Verse 5 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Not only do I need to do that, you need to do that. We're not preaching ourselves. Preaching, Preaching Christ Jesus because the power is in the gospel. The means is in using the Word of God. The means is in using you and I in using the church. And don't forget the last part of the verse as we close. What else? And what? Ourselves as your born servants for Christ. Yes, I, yes, the elders need to see themselves as servants. Do you see yourself as a servant to the body of Christ? A servant to the people sitting next to you? A servant to the work of God? We don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. And ourselves as servants to the glory of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, we do thank you how you started this church. And we know we didn't give all the history today. And we thank you and praise you for where you brought us to today. We thank you for the many that have been saved and have come to Christ and been baptized and have grown in the faith, some of which have been even taught in this church and then have moved on. Others who have gone home to be in glory. Thank you for the works that have started. Thank you for the people that have gone forth and served. But Father, you're not done building your church. You're not done having the Word of God preached and the Gospel preached. And Lord, as we hear this and we look at Philippi and how it grew and how you used that church mightily, Help us as we look to the future to have the same confidence that Paul did in the one that began the work and the one that will conclude it all the way to the day of Christ, and that is you. Let our confidence be in you. And we pray that you might accomplish mighty things, that many more would come out of this church. Many more would grow in the things of God. Many more would want to serve you. Many would come from here and go to the mission field. Other works would be raised up, not for our sake, not for the name of Fellowship Bible Church, but for the glory of you. And Father, we thank you and look forward with anticipation for that and pray these things in Jesus' name. As we get the close,